Church, if we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Kyle, and I have the honor and privilege of serving as the associate pastor here at Crossroads Christian Church. And today I have the extra honor and privilege of being able to open God's word uh, before you and with you today. So um, very, very excited uh, to get to do this. Um, I know recently in our church we've had a uh, plethora of guest um, preachers and guest speakers that have come in and done a fantastic job. Uh, you chose to come today, so you get me. Um, Let's open up uh, Luke 8. We're going to be in verse 4 starting. And before we jump uh, right into the text, I just want to ask you guys a question. And I'm going to ask you for a show of hands. So, yes, this is church, and we actually are going to ask you to raise your hand. So, um, if you will, um, have you ever heard this phrase, listen to me carefully? Listen to me carefully. Raise your hand if you grew up hearing that phrase from your parents. Okay, all right, most, most. Um, raise your hand if you ignored that phrase from your parents. Right? And finally, uh, raise your hand if you wish you had listened more carefully when you were told to. Almost everyone. Okay, all right, all right, good, good, good. Um, how we listen to something matters, doesn't it? It directly affects how we respond to what we hear. For example, if you simply hear something important but don't respond to it, well, one of two things typically happens. You either miss out on an opportunity, you, you kind of watch it go by, um, or you get in trouble for not doing something that you were told was important to do. Now, this can happen in the home, this can happen at school, this can happen at, at work, this can happen with your friends. Um, and Whenever, uh, whenever you miss out on something important, um, that's a tragedy, right? It, because it was important. It mattered. And speaking of important things, God's word, church, is vitally important to our lives, even if we don't always think so. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you think that the Bible is outdated or old-fashioned or flat-out wrong about certain things. Um, if that's you, if you're here today and that's kind of like where you're at, um, I'm really glad you're here, actually, because it takes a lot of courage to show up to a place uh, like a church where you know that we're going to talk about a book that you think is not that relevant to your life um, or that maybe you disagree with. So if that's you, you did well, you did really well, um, and, I, and I'm super glad you're here. Uh, now, if somebody invited you to attend today and it went something like, because this happens, Hey, uh, yeah, let's hang out soon. Um, oh, you, yeah, uh, Sunday. Okay, Sunday's good. Um, hey, want to grab dinner? Great. I'm glad we're grabbing dinner. I just need to stop by my church first on the way. Just come along. Just come with. If that's how it went, then I'm really, really glad that you're here because you've done very well to stick to this point in the service. Uh, you've, you've made it really far. How we listen and respond to God's word has major, major implications for our lives. And I hope to show you that as we spend the next few moments in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. Today we encounter a passage of scripture where Jesus tells a short story, also known as a parable, with an emphasis on listening and then responding appropriately. And so let's look at that story together. Uh, we're going to start Luke chapter 8, verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, that's Jesus, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed it, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. 
As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now you may be wondering, what is Jesus talking about here? What is he talking about? You see, in our modern society, we kind of have a disconnect um, in a couple of ways. A disconnect, both between the literary device that's being used, um, what's known as a parable, and we also have a disconnect because he's using, yeah, this is really buzzy. Uh, can we, thanks. Um, sorry, guys. Um, we also have a disconnect because there's an agrarian society that Jesus is speaking to, um, a society that's based in agriculture or farming, and he's using an example of a farmer sowing seed. That's not necessarily an example that we think of every day in our lives here in Brooklyn. And so let's try to close the gap a little bit. If we were telling this parable here in Brooklyn, we might say something like this. A musician, hipster, went out to promote his band's next show. As he handed out flyers, some fell on the sidewalk and people stepped on them, and the pigeons pecked them apart. Some went straight into one person's hands, they got excited, they seemed interested, but then when the next flyer on the next block came into their hand for a different event, they threw them both in the nearest trash can as soon as they could. Some people took the flyer home, but they forgot about it in their backpack for three weeks, and life got busy, and by the time they discovered the flyer again, the show date had already passed. And some people looked at the flyer, checked their calendar, texted their friends, and they went to the show a few days later and they had a great time. That's how we might have told this story in our day. Um, but in Jesus' time, he uses an agrarian, an agriculturally based illustration to teach the crowds about hearing and responding to God's word, specifically the gospel message. And you see in farming, a seed represents unlimited potential unlimited potential, and not just potential for anything, potential for one specific thing, unlimited potential for life. And so too, the gospel of Jesus Christ makes available to us eternal life to those who believe it. And so the illustration here of a farmer sowing seed makes perfect sense to Jesus' followers in the first century, because many of whom would have been involved in farming or agriculture in some way. So Jesus tells the parable. Then Jesus' disciples ask Jesus about the parable. And listen to what he says in verses 9 and 10. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now admittedly, church, this is kind of a hard saying to get our minds around. But here is what Jesus is actually saying in a nutshell. He's saying the condition of one's heart has everything to do with how receptive they are to the word of God. The condition of somebody's heart has everything to do with how receptive they are going to be to God's word when it comes to them. And if somebody has a habit of rejecting truth over and over and over again, then how can they expect to actually receive truth when it comes to them? Instead, what Jesus is saying, their hearts become hardened to truth, and the truth that they even think they have is taken away from them. Now, Jesus isn't pulling this out of thin air. Um, he's actually quoting an Old Testament reference from the book of Isaiah, and specifically Isaiah uh, 6, verse 9. And that's a reference to people who do not allow the word of God uh, to come to them and to penetrate their hearts. And in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, God gives a command to the prophet Isaiah. He says, and, and he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. 
Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now that's a hard saying. That's a hard thing. And in order to obey this command, what Isaiah did, and this is actually kind of the interesting part, what Isaiah did when he was commanded by God to go and do that, he did not actually try to hide or conceal the message that God gave him to give. He didn't do that. He, he, he didn't go with like code language or anything like that. Um, he spoke clearly and he spoke plainly to the people so that anyone could understand. He made it extra clear, if you will. But in this instance, what happened in this story is people hardened their hearts to the truth. They rejected the truth. They heard something that was very clear, that was black and white, that was kind of right there in front of them, and they turned away from it. Despite Isaiah's repeated clear teachings, the people kept rejecting the truth, rejecting the truth, um, living and acting as if what Isaiah was saying from God did not matter. And church, I fear that we do this sometimes. Crossroads, I think we do this sometimes. How often do we read or hear a truth of God's word that is crystal clear? Crystal clear. Most things, most things in the scriptures are pretty clear. But how often do we hear that and we find a way in our creative minds to ignore it, to downplay it, to rationalize our disobedience of it, and thus do exactly what the people were doing here, eventually harden our hearts to it. The teaching's clear if we will just have the hearts that are ready to receive it, believe it, and live by it, church. But, so that's the bad news. That's the bad news. But if someone is spiritually hungry and desires to know the truth, the stories like the one that Jesus told about a farmer sowing his seed, the parables that Jesus told, they actually reveal truth to the spiritually hungry person, to the person who wants to learn and says, I want to know the truth, God. God does not conceal his truth. <laughs> he wants you to know the truth. And the people that want to know it, it says the parables reveal the truth to them. Like they get it. They hear the story of the farmer sowing the seed and they go, ah, oh, I think I know what he's talking about here. They begin to understand because they are seeking the truth. And Jesus' teachings are plain enough for anyone to understand if they want to understand them, believe them, and apply them. Christianity, and, and this is important for us to hear because we hear a lot of things about what Christianity is, but Christianity is not an elitist religion. It's not a religion just for, for the 1%. <laughs> it's not a religion only kept for scholars or those that have genius level like intellect. Like, that's not what Christianity is. That's not who it's for. The message of the gospel is for everyone. The only question is, who's going to believe it? <laughs> who will choose to believe it? The message is for everyone. And so afterwards, Jesus actually, um, he doesn't just leave the disciples hanging here. Um, he goes and he says, I'm going to explain this in detail. All right. And so we're going to pick up in verse 11 and you're going to hear Jesus walk through the parable and he's going to explain it in detail. And Jesus says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. 
They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. So, that, so Jesus does a pretty good job there of walking through and explaining. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time here until a little bit later. But Jesus identifies basically what each element in the parable represents. First, the seed is the word of God. It's the Bible. It's, it includes the gospel message, right, about who Jesus is and what he has done. The sower in the story is Christ, or I would add, anyone who puts forth the word of God before others. <laughs> so it's Christ in the story. He's the sower. But I would, I would argue anybody else who's putting forth the word of God, who's telling somebody the gospel message, they can represent the sower in this story. And the four soils represent the four types of hearts that hear the message. And then Jesus adds an extension to the parable. And he says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So here, what Jesus is saying is he's saying the, the things of the kingdom of God, the things that you know about who God is and what he's done and what he's going to do, those are not just meant to be a secret for you. <laughs> those are not your little secret between you and God. Those things are meant to be shared. Well, who do I share them with? Everyone. Those are meant for everyone. Um, and he uses an example of a lamp and a light to illustrate this. You don't turn on a light to hide, a, to hide the light, do you? Like, you don't turn a lamp on to make the room darker. No, you turn on the light because you want to illuminate something. And the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is designed to illuminate our hearts into faith in Jesus. And the Bible says faith in Jesus is what brings eternal life about in a person. There's no such thing as secret knowledge that is meant to be kept secret in Christianity. It's God's desire. The Bible tells us it's God's desire that all people come to the knowledge of the truth about Jesus. If anyone tells you otherwise, <laughs> then they're not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they say, hey, this is a secret thing. It's for us. It's not for you. That's not the gospel. <laughs> That's not the gospel. God desires that all people come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus then sums up this passage of scripture. And he talks about the family of God. He says the family of God is composed of those who hear and obey God's word. And if you look at verse 19, the story goes on. It says, then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So that's the text that we're going to be talking about today. That's, we kind of walked through it quickly. Now that we've walked through that together, let's talk about what we are to learn from it and how do we apply this to our lives? How do we live out what this text is telling us to live out? And 
I have three main points for you today. The first one is this. The spiritually hungry person will be filled. The Bible's telling us here, the spiritually hungry person will be filled. Jesus makes a call in verse eight. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is promising that those who are spiritually hungry will be filled with the good news of the gospel and with God's Holy Spirit. And however, the fact remains that not everyone will respond positively to the truths of God's word. This is, you know this to be true. Maybe this was true, maybe you're a Christian, but you remember the times before you were a Christian, before you started following Christ, when you did not respond favorably to the truth of God's word. Maybe you outright rejected it. We know that not everyone responds positively to the truths of God's word. But Jesus walks through four responses that someone can have to the gospel message. And he, and he bases them on the condition of the heart, which is represented again by the soil in the, in the illustration, in the parable. And he says, when hearing the word, these are some possible responses that somebody might have. And he breaks it down, four categories, hard hearts, shallow hearts, tangled hearts, and good hearts. So we're gonna walk through each one of those individually. We'll start with hard hearts. Hard hearts, verses 11 and 12. Jesus says the seeds that fall along the path represent the word of God coming to a person who has a hard heart. The word bounces off, if you will, the hard surface, and it's just unable to enter because they have their walls up. They say, yep, mm, no, that's, like, that's not for me. Like, I, I'm not doing that. Then Satan comes along and he throws something enticing out to that person, distracting them, taking the word of God out of their minds for that moment. And it's not that hard-hearted people are always hostile to the message of the gospel. They're not always hostile. They're not always like activists against it. But maybe they're uninterested. Or maybe they're apathetic. They're just like, like, like there's that emoji from meh, M-E-H, meh, like the meh emoji. Maybe they're like, meh. Maybe they're busy. <laughs> And they're just like, I'm too busy to think about stuff like that. That's just, other people have time. Maybe, I guess they have more time than I do. They think about these things. I don't think about those things. And a person with a heart that has not been softened and prepared by the Lord is like this. They're unable to receive God's word. And that's a hard heart. And, and Jesus says in the parable, the seeds that fall on the path, that, that represents a hard heart. Then you have shallow hearts. Shallow hearts, these are the seeds that fall on the rock in the parable, the seeds that fall on the rock. In verse 13, Jesus is talking about these. And that represents what happens when God's word lands on what we're calling a shallow heart. A shallow heart's a heart that has a brief momentary response to God and to the gospel. This person, um, the way I like to say it is this person might be excited about the idea of Jesus or might be excited about the idea of church or might be excited about the idea of being able to stamp some kind of identity or label on themselves. But then when the hard times come, they abandon their faith and they say, yeah, that, I, I don't want anything to do with that. That's not gonna help me in, with this. And maybe you know the story of a person who made a quick profession of faith, started coming to church, reading their Bible, and then when someone, when someone or some life circumstance you know, came up beside them and just hit them. They completely abandoned the church. They ghosted all the Christians that they knew and they walked away from God and left people asking like, well, where, where, where's your faith? Where, where'd it go? What happened? 
And it's like, well, like, life got hard. Life got hard. And I'm sad to say, but like, you know, we see this happen. This happens. This, this happens. And the root cause is that the gospel message never really took hold. It, it never took hold of them. They had an emotional, a purely emotional response to God, but they didn't let God's message sink in. They didn't let God's power take root in their heart and in their lives. And Jesus says, this is a possible response. <laughs> this kind of stuff happens. Then we have tangled hearts. The third response is by a person with a tangled heart. Um, a tangled heart, um, you might say, this person is more concerned with all the things of the world. So material goods, wealth, pleasure, all the worries of life, all the trappings of the good life, if you will. And they're more worried about that so they can't, they don't have room for the gospel. <laughs> Their hearts are already tangled up with all this other stuff. And Jesus warned, actually, that somebody cannot be in love with God and in love with all these other things at the same time. Um, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says, you cannot, he uses an example, he says, you cannot serve God and money. Matthew 6, 24. And just as a wild vine that has thorns, remember, Jesus is talking to a bunch of people that understand farming. <laughs> just as a wild vine that has thorns can tangle itself around a flower, so too can our hearts be tangled and choked out from the experience of life in Christ. And then in verse 15, now at last, we get to what Jesus calls the good soil, the good heart. The spiritually hungry heart is how I would describe it to you today. The spiritually hungry heart that longs for the seed is waiting for the seed to be planted in it, waiting for the truth of God's word to come. Jesus tells the crowd that they can receive God's word in the good soil of their hearts. Jesus says, this is the message. It's for you. It's for you. You can receive it. And those in the crowd and in our crowds that we get up and we share the word in front of today, um, those who are spiritually hungry, who have ears to hear, you know this is true. You, you know this is true. You remember, if you're following Christ today, you probably remember the time that you heard the gospel message, you heard that Jesus Christ had lived the life that you were supposed to live, had died the death that you deserved, and had paid the penalty for your sin and rose again on the third day. You probably remember the time, the first time you heard that and it clicked. And you went, oh, that's what this Christianity thing's about. That's it. And maybe that was the time you gave your life to Christ. Or maybe you waited a little longer and you did it later. But you probably remember at some point you heard that, you had the ears to hear, and you said, aha, like this must be it. This must be what, this must be what my life is for. This must, like, this must be the God that has been chasing after me, that has been following me, and that has been calling me to him. And the spiritually hungry person will be filled now, I don't want you to miss this. Jesus closes the explanation of the parable in verse 15. He says, as for that in the good, the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Jesus says you will bear fruit with patience, with patience. I want you to be encouraged by that today because maybe you're sitting here and maybe sometimes you're hard on yourself 
and you say, you know what, I've been following Jesus, you know, I try to tell other people sometimes about Jesus, and it just doesn't seem like, you know, I feel like I hit a wall sometimes. Or, 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 you know, maybe like, you know, there was that one sin in my life, and I told Jesus that was the thing I wasn't going to do again, and then the next week I did it. And oh man, like I, I just must be like a total, like I, I just must be failing at this thing. There's grace for you. There's grace for you. Jesus says, you will bear fruit, but have patience. Your growth in your relationship with Christ is a lifelong process. It's not overnight. And while we should all do self-examination to determine whether we're walking in the faith of the Lord Jesus, we also must know that bearing fruit takes time. And it requires patience. Just because you don't see immediate fruit or maybe you had a bad day as a Christian does not mean that you are outside of the faith. But the question is, are you trusting in Christ? Are you trusting in him? Jesus said in the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, um, one of the first things he says in Matthew 5 verse 6, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. True spiritual hunger will be satisfied by Jesus Christ. There's no other substitute for Jesus. If you are seeking after truth and you're seeking after God, you will be satisfied in Jesus Christ. The spiritually hungry person knows this. And God loves to fill them with his righteousness through his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, there's this really cool thing that, you know, theologians talk about and they, and they call it the great exchange. And they're talking about the gospel when they're talking about the great exchange. And they say, when we come to Christ, all we have to offer is our sin. <laughs> all we have to offer, like we have a, a bad record <laughs> attached to us. And we are unable, the Bible tells us, we are unable to make ourselves right with God, to earn right standing in favor with God. So all we bring to Christ is our sin. And we bring it to him. And we hand it over to him and we say this, like, we know that you died, Jesus, for this. That's what we offer to him. But then there's this great exchange that happens. We give over the sin to Jesus. He exchanges it and he gives us something in return. He gives us his perfect righteousness. It's a great exchange. We turn in something that's dirty and worthless and he gives back his righteousness to us, which is as perfect as perfect can be. The spiritually hungry person will be filled and satisfied in Jesus Christ. Second thing I want you to see from this text and I want us to like think about, the spiritually filled person will tell others the spiritually filled person will tell others. Jesus tells the crowds that his followers are like lamps. So you're a bunch of lamps. Bunch of lamps. Lamps are not meant to be put out of sight, like he uses an example, like you don't put it under a bed. Like who has a lamp under their bed? Hands? I thought there'd be like one person that's like, yeah, I'm storing it away. Okay, all right, so none. Okay, we don't put a lamp under a bed, right? Instead, we put it up in a place of prominence. We put it up high so that the lamp and the light can shine on others. 
Jesus says in the same way, the spiritually filled person will shine his or her light, the light of Jesus Christ on other people. Now this could take many forms. This could include telling other people about Jesus. We call that sharing the gospel. Serving others in Jesus' name. So you might do that inside the walls of the church, outside the walls of the church, in the neighborhood or in the borough or in the city. Uh, blessing others through words of encouragement and praise. That might be how you shine the light of Jesus on other people is by blessing them uh, with words of encouragement, words of praise. Uh, praying for those who are far from God to be drawn near to God and, and to be drawn close to God. Maybe that's a way that you shine the light of Jesus on other people. But a person, church, who is spiritually full will overflow to other people. The way the light of a lamp overflows the lampshade. If you have a lamp and you have a lampshade and it keeps all the light in, it's a bad lamp. It's not a very good lampshade. But a true lamp is going to overflow that lampshade and light up a room. Jesus also gives a word to us here about not just hearing the word, but doing the word. He says that those who share the light actually are given more light to share. Those who listen carefully to understand God's truth will be given more truth. Those who act on the truth of God's word and live by it are given more truth from God. Those who are spiritually filled tend to get filled even more. And this is actually an abundance that is overflowing out to other people. And in contrast, the person who fails to hear, fails to listen, um, ends up not even understanding or responding to what they think they know. And this is, and this is a great loss. And, and this should be like a word of caution, I think, to us. Like, what are we doing with what God has told us? What are we doing with what God has given us? If God's revealed some truth to us, what are we doing with it? <laughs> are we sitting on it? Are we just kind of like, oh, that's nice, cool, great. I'll remember that when I need it. Or are we actually like trying to live it out? Let it sink in, let it go into our hearts and apply it into our lives. But to close out this point, just remember this. If we've been spiritually filled and transformed and redeemed and saved by God, we are encouraged by the scriptures here to be lamps of God's light to a dark world. And the third thing that Jesus says, and the third thing that we need to learn from this passage God's family hears and obeys God's word. God's family hears and obeys God's word. Jesus says this in a very straightforward manner. He says, those who belong to me are the ones that are hearing my word and doing it. Now, understandably, and we even have this written in our membership covenant here at Crossroads, nobody perfectly obeys God's word. We know that we are unable to, per, to live a perfect life. We are unable to do that. We recognize that. And that card is on the table. We are unable to do that. I'm unable. You're unable. We're unable. But the question that I would have is, do you have a desire to hear God's word and put it into practice in your life? Is that what you want? Do you have that desire? You know you can't do it perfectly. None of us can. But do you have that desire? Has God given that desire to you? Do you center your life, not just around reading the Bible, but on what the Bible says? Do you make decisions based on scripture? Not what someone else tells you, not what our culture tells you, not what the magazine you read tells you, 
um, or not just exclusively about how you feel about how a certain circumstance is going to work out, but do you make decisions based on what God's word says? If you feel like or you want to do A, but God's word says B is the right choice, what do you do? If what your friend advises you to do conflicts with what the scriptures say to do, how do you handle that? What do you do? Some scholars, um, when I was studying for this, for this message, some scholars say that verse 21 is actually the main point of the whole passage. <laughs> that everything in the story builds up to this truth. And after kind of going through and studying, I think I agree with that. <laughs> Simply hearing the gospel of Jesus does not change us. It must be accompanied by faith in Jesus. And faith comes by hearing and believing, but not just intellectually. It's like a chair. All of you are sitting in a chair. You can look at a chair. I can walk over to this chair and I can say, looks like a good chair. I like that chair. I think, I think, I believe maybe, but I think that chair is going to support me if I sit on it. I, I think. But I demonstrate my faith in the chair by placing the weight of my body on the chair by sitting down. In the same way, faith in Jesus Christ means that you are putting the weight of your life on the truth that Jesus lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserved for our sin in our place, that he paid that penalty in full, and that he rose again on the third day. You're putting the weight of your life on it in the same way that you have true faith in a chair when you sit down that it will hold you. And in, in, in that same way, we put our, our faith in Jesus when we believe that he will hold us. You don't really demonstrate true faith until you put your weight on it and you begin to live your life in response to what Jesus has done for you. Not to earn it, not to get brownie points, not, not to get gold coins or gold stars or any of that stuff with God. We can't earn it, but we do it as a response because we know what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this is why our faith is always accompanied by action. We're not saved by what we do. We're not saved by the checklist or getting it all right or having every right answer all the time. But we do those things. We love people. We serve. We do those things because we have been saved by Christ. And those in God's family, they both hear and they obey God because they've been saved by God, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Before we get into our response time today, uh, let me just pray. So if you will, bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we know that there is nothing that we can do to earn our right standing with you. There's nothing that we can do to be saved on our own. God, we need you. We confess that we need you. God, and at the same time, we know there's nothing that we could do, God, that would make you love us any less than you already do. God, there's nothing that we can do to earn more love from you, God. You love us. You love us like we've never been loved before. And we thank you and we praise you for that. And God, I just pray that if there are any here who are spiritually hungry, God, that you would fill them, that you would fill them today. God, that they would be filled with the goodness of the gospel, 
God, that they would be filled with faith in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.